Well, welcome, and we're honored to have you in the house this morning. And uh, we're still recovering with our throats and a few other things from yesterday. But it was a wondrous time, and God prevailed. And, and we did overcome with your help and prayers, and we thank God for that. Uh, we had so many knuckleballs thrown at us. How many of you know what a knuckleball is? Have you ever been at bat and someone threw you a knuckleball? Those things are hard to hit. That's why they call them knuckleballs. And some of us are knuckleheads, but those were knuckleballs. And uh, just about everything that you could get thrown at you was happening to us. And uh, But God prevailed. We still got our air conditioning back up and working. We never had it fail before. And uh, we got our sound up and working. It had never failed like that before. We blew a whole bunch of monitors, which still aren't working. So today we were mostly... Uh, up here without hearing ourselves, so I hope it was okay for you. And uh, just, it could have been disarray, but Jeff and I were just sharing that we remembered when we started here, our entire instrumentation was one old piano that was left behind and half the keys didn't work. So bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within us. And God has done great things. Let's give him a hand. We thank him. We thank him. We're excited about what God is doing and what he's going to do. And one of the assignments that I've received is to do an exposition of all of the writings of E.W. Kenyon. Now, so that we're clear, um, I don't worship E.W. Kenyon. In fact, I don't even agree with a few things. Most things he and I are in total agreement with. And he's been a spiritual father to me from heaven because he's passed on in 1948 and his books have been a good foundation and teaching for me in many ways but nobody's infallible and uh god has shown more revelation in a few areas so i count it a great honor to be asked by whitaker publishing to do the exposition on all of his books that are being republished and one of those books is called the two kinds of righteousness it's actually one of his smallest books, so I'm really glad they gave me that one first. And uh, righteousness is not dealt with enough. So what I'd like to do is take us on a journey together through this exposition of righteousness, not just E.W. Kenyon's writings, but righteousness as we've seen in the revealed word of God. And if the church... And when I say the church, I'm talking the ecclesia, I'm talking the vast body of Christ, were to grasp the power of righteousness in our lives, we would be unconquerable in every facet. There wouldn't be a political party. There would be one group called righteousness. There wouldn't be differences of opinion about what's right and wrong with God. There would be one right, and it's called righteousness. I heard it said recently, in fact, just a couple days ago, and this may catch you by surprise, it did me. How many denominations do you think are in the world today? Religious denominations, 1,000, 500, 1,000, 10,000, 35,000. How many denominations are you think just in the Baptist faith? 168. Even a Baptist can't agree on what not to agree with. How many Pentecostal denominations do you think there are? Over 10,000. 
we're a body that is trying to find itself, aren't we? And we find the little things to disagree on rather than the big things to agree upon. And Jesus boiled it down so well when he said, hey, if they're for me, then they're not against us and bless them. We have to meet at the cross. We have to meet at the place of reconciliation and restoration. And what does that for us is our comprehension, but also our apprehension of the righteousness of God in Christ. So I want to share with you a little bit about that. First of all, one of my favorite uh, statements, declarations in the epistles comes out of the letter to the Ephesians by the Apostle Paul. It's in chapter 1. And in his greeting in chapter 1, he begins with the blessings of righteousness, the blessings of redemption in Christ. And let me read it to you in chapter 1, starting in verse 3 of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all. Somebody say all. All. How many? All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Let me break it down very simple because we have other areas to move into right now. Because you have accepted Jesus Christ, and if you haven't and you're watching online, I want to welcome you. We give you a big hello, and those will be watching later, wherever you're at uh, across this globe. We thank you. But most of all, to understand that we can apprehend all of the spiritual blessings. How many? All of the spiritual blessings. Let me have you stop a moment and consider what your thoughts of God are. How big is God to you? Is he as big as your last problem? Is he as big as your existing problem? Is he as small as your last failure? Is he the one that got you through a problem and then you forgot him as you moved on to make decisions in your life again by yourself? How big is God to you? What is there that God cannot do? What is there that God has not done? What is there that he declares that isn't done from the morning till the night and across all of eternity in the highways and skyways of the universe. That's how big God is. God is incomprehensible. Paul tried to describe it once and he's done a good job, but he finally gave up and he said, he's just so amazing, so wonderful, so incomprehensible that all we could say is, and it's in the vernacular, we'll say it, wow. That's all we can say about God. He's, he's so much more than anything we can possibly consider or know or wonder here in this form on earth. I'd venture to say that no matter how much we study the word, how much revelation we get, how long we pray, that we still only know a fraction of him here on this earth. He's that big. He's that magnanimous. But yet, because he raised his son, he did it for only one reason, that you and I might be adopted. Adopted. Notice the word is adopted. Not just grafted adopted. Now, sometimes people are searching for their father or their mother, their biological father or mother. Who were they? What were they? How were they? But yet the father 
gave his only son to adopt us. He chose us. He didn't just find us. He chose us. You've been chosen. And you've been chosen with a certain capacity to have something that's so transparent, but yet so tangible. It's called righteousness. The righteousness of God in Christ. I want to take a little journey with you about righteousness this morning so that you understand why you have access to all those abundant blessings. They're in heaven, but they're right here with us, for us, and to us at all times. That's how abundant and blessing God is in his righteousness to us. You are co-heirs with Christ. What does it mean to be a co-heir? Well, let's look at it for a moment in Scripture. Nothing describes it better than the living Word of God. We can expound on it. We can do an exegesis of it. We can debate it. We can consider it. We can have all kind of different forms of what we do with the living Word, but the living Word explains Himself the best. In Romans chapter 8, verse 12, starting there, this is our sonship. Now, if you've been in this ministry or have heard it long enough, you know that there's no genderizing in this ministry. When we say son, it's a son and a daughter. It's not a gender. It's a position with God. We, just like men, you have to get used to it, that you're part of the bride of Christ. It's a position with God. It's a relationship with God. So we have a sonship with him. Neither male nor female, but a sonship that's equal to the sonship that Jesus Christ has with him. The father wasn't satisfied with the only son. He wanted many sons. And so now we become the father in his family. And their sonship through the Spirit of God, starting in verse 12, chapter 8 of Romans. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We are in debt, not to the flesh and not to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs of God. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that me may also be glorified together. When my wife and I went to Israel for the first time, and we began to experience the Hebrew language alive, I was reading the life story of Ben Eliezer, Yehud, and this is the man that God put it on his heart to give Israel, the nation of Israel, the land of Israel, a native language, because remember, the Jews were scattered in the diaspora. And most of the language that was preserved, if any, was Yiddish. Yiddish is a little bit of spooglish. It you know, Hagsamash, you got, you got some stuff in there that has some Hebrew in it, but it has German in it. It has some European in it and then some Spanglish in it. And it just mixes it all up into a nice salad and it's called Yiddish. But he didn't want Yiddish to be this language because Yiddish is a slang and Yiddish is wherever, whatever culture you were raised in. 
And uh, for example, in Yiddish, uh, a Hebrew is called a Yid. And so when we were growing up and I was with some of my Jewish friends from Liberty High School, we'd call Yids, hey Yid. And, and, but that's really not the Hebrew language. So Ben Eliezer decided that the people, in order to have an identity as a nation, needed a language. And he took the Hebrew language and he began to expand it and to give it words that went throughout the entire vocabulary. And in some of them, it wasn't that he was creating them, he was taking parts of different Hebrew that had been spoken and preserved only as a holy language. So the rabbis got upset with them in their legalistic, pharisaic, sadistic ways. And they had him arrested. And they stopped his printing press and his editing. And they threatened him with incarceration. Well, there was a very wealthy Jewish man who seemed to be the one pulling all the purse strings for Israel at that time. And his name was Baron Rothschild. And he was the one who decided who got money or who didn't get money. And this, remember, was a fledgling people with no place to go. They needed funds. And so everybody wrote him letters, pro and con against the identity of the Hebrew language. And someone wrote on behalf of Ben Eliezer's side, and finally Baron Rothschild ruled. And this is how he ruled. He sent back a cable to the rabbis, and he said, you do best to pray. Otherwise, what he was saying is, leave your hands off of this or I won't give you money. And so Ben Eliezer went forward and we ended up with the Hebrew language. So my wife and I, we end up in Israel after a little journey through Egypt and tattered and broken and no clothes and poor. And I was pretty sick. I, I left with gangrene and I still had it when I was there and trying to preserve and save my leg and it was a, a very difficult time. Plus, I picked up a really good case of salmonella while I was in Egypt eating rotten pigeons. Two portions because I got one and my wife didn't want to eat hers. So when the host wasn't looking, she put hers on my plate. So I took one for the family. <laughs> and we're walking through the street of Ben Yehuda, right in the front of where the the, the auditorium is where they had the Nazi crime trials. And I'm just amazed at the heritage of where it's at and it's all coming alive and percolating in my body. And all of a sudden, we hear this little boy chasing his father. He's yelling, Abby, Abby, Abby. And my wife and I looked at each other and said, wow, Abba, father. So we understand when Paul writes in the Romans, I believe it was Paul that wrote the Romans anyway, do what you want with it. When he writes in the Romans crying out, Abbi, Father, it's the most intimate cry of a child to their Father in heaven. He says, we've received the Spirit, we've been adopted to where we can cry out, Abbi, Abbi, Daddy. It's even richer than daddy because it comes from the root of the name of God, Adonai. Abi, Abi, Adonai Abi, Father Abi, God Abi, Creator Abi, Almighty God Abi. And everything that he is, you are heirs of. All the exceeding blessings from heaven above.
are ours. Now here's the tragedy of religion. 35,000 denominations, we still don't have it figured out. What a perplexity. What an irony. But today, you and I are going to figure it out. How's that sound? Are you feeling bold enough that you can figure it out? Here it is. It's so simple. It's right in front of us. Why have we failed? Most of our hymns, have you thought about them? And we're talking about the old hymns. Some of the new ones get it a little more right. They're all about what happens after death. Then we have songs, you know, go fly away, you know. What happens when we fly away? Whatever you want to believe. What happens when I get in the great blue and blue? What happens when I walk through the pearly gates? I can only imagine. Everything's about what happens afterwards. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus didn't come to just give us hope about the eternal life after. He came, came to give us an abundant life and life even more abundantly in the here and now. And so 35,000 denominations could make it very simple if we all just said, Jesus now, Jesus now. How about this? You're going to have rest when you get to heaven. Just keep plowing on, keep suffering right here in the now and now. But when you get to heaven, you're going to be at rest. Well, you know what? I'd like some rest right here in the now and now. How about you? How about if you're able to be in the storm and fall asleep in the back of the boat? How about if you're able to see lightning all around you, but it can't touch you? How about if 10,000 shall fall at your feet, but not a hair of yours will be touched? How about if nothing can touch you, hurt you, harm you, confuse you, confound you? You can rest through it. And let me tell you, there's one person I know that can sleep anywhere, at any time, in any place. I think he's asleep right now, Jim, Jim Mariotti. Thank you. He has perfected it like nobody I know. Eyes open, hands on the computer. I think he even drives that way. His wife will tell you they get in an airplane before the door is shut. He's asleep. Do I tell the truth, Dottie? And he doesn't wake up until it's time to get off the plane. He doesn't know where he is or how he got there. He doesn't care. He knows how to rest. He knows how to rest. He knows how to rest. Rest is made for us now. Psalms 23 wasn't about the by and by. Yea, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I shall feel no evil. Huh? Religion doesn't do it very well, does it? How about this? When you finally get to heaven, you've overcome. Yeah, you made it. Well, is that all we're doing is trying to make it? I got news for you. You already made it. You don't have to make it. You made it. How about we overcome here on this earth? These are those who overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We have received the spirit of adoption to overcome here on earth now, right now. That is one of the attributes of the righteousness of God. I am giving them to you piecemeal. Rest, victory, overcoming. How about this one? We're going to have peace with God when we get to heaven. What does that mean? We don't have peace with God now? I think one of his names, somebody help me, is Jehovah Shal Shalami. Shalom. 
Jehovah Shalom, God of peace. If the God of peace is in you, what should you have? Peace. Is he in you or is he about you? Jesus said, I've come to bring the kingdom here on earth. And later on, we get this revelation, the kingdom is in us. The kingdom of God in us. The peace, the rest, the victory, overcoming. How about this? How about the people that on this side of heaven, this side of eternity, they say, well, it's our lot to suffer. We need to have misery. We need to be poor. We need to have disappointments. We must be able to wallow in our weaknesses well. Take it like a good soldier of God. Just turn the cheek and turn the cheek and never stand up. After all, if you're not suffering, Jesus suffered. We have it so wrong. Philippians 3.10, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings conforming even unto his death. You see, we got to add one more scripture to that. We were baptized with him into death, but we were raised with him in his resurrection into life. Some people get stuck in the baptism into death. Oh, Lord, it's always going to be this way. It's never going to be any better. But when I get to heaven, this will all be behind me. I don't like that religion. I don't like that lack of faith. I don't like that attitude that wants to suffer. You know, every time we have a situation or a problem, it can become two things to us. It can beat us down, or we can look at it as an opportunity to grow and raise up. It's what you make of it. How many of you have had some terrible sicknesses that God has blessed you with and you've overcome? Right? How many of you have one right now that you're believing God to overcome? You shall today. You shall. I can speak from my own experience. I'm not going to sit here and talk about myself. I will tell you this. As a child, before I even knew to speak a word, I was fighting for my life with leukemia. Age two, the light of the Lord came into that little room where they said I wouldn't be alive in the morning. He visited me. I didn't know him. I didn't know him until many years later in my life. He put a call on my life at that point, but he saved me. I didn't even know the battle, but I had one then. So many different battles since then. Put in a wheelchair, told I'd never walk again. Crippling. Rheumatoid arthritis. Pain like you never believe. God preserved me through that. So many things. Gangrene in my leg. They said I'd lose my leg. It's still there. They said I had a tumor in my head. They were going to cut out part of my brain. Funny thing was, when they did the final MRI, it was gone. I think I talked from an experience. You see, I don't want to accept misery. I don't want to accept disease. I don't want to accept those things. My God gives us an opportunity to overcome. What the devil means for evil, God intends for good. There's a plan and purpose in everything that God does if we will exalt him in it. 
Isn't it amazing that the fellowship of the sufferings with Jesus Christ isn't commiserating with him, it's celebrating with him in the victory that he's overcome your disease, he's overcome your poverty, he's overcome your depression, he's overcome your divorce, he's overcome your relationship, he's overcome fallen children, he's overcome everything that has come against you in your life. That is fellowship of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. We fellowship with a smile on our face because on that cross he said it is finished. It either is or it isn't. Choose ye whom you shall serve today, beloved. It's finished. It's finished. If it's finished, it's finito. It's gone. Completed. It isn't there anymore. It's only there if you give it credibility. The only person that can overcome the righteousness of God in Christ that's in you and me, that is enough power to overcome everything in heaven and earth and hell, that gives us the release of all the blessings and abundance that God has. The only person in all of creation that can get in the way between you and God with that is you. Nothing else. Nobody. Don't blame it on anybody. Oh, you don't know what it was like to be me. <laughs> you know what? No, I don't, and I don't want to. Sorry. You don't know what it's like to be me. I don't think you'd want to be me. Sometimes I don't want to be me. Sometimes you don't want to be you. The only thing that can get in the way between us and God is these words that come out of this mouth. Do you know that there's another world called the spiritual dimension? Are you aware of that? Most of the denominations, they, they just faint at it. Oh, there's a devil, but you know, don't get crazy about the devil. Oh, there's demons, but that's mostly in the movies. Oh, there's angels, but, you know, and then they see one and they want to worship the angel. Everything's about angels. But they don't know if it was an angel of light or another angel, just an angel. There is a spiritual world. And you know that spiritual world is monitoring us all the time. You may not know it, and maybe you do, but you have a different aura about you here on this earth than those that don't have the glory of God inside of them. The glory of God is bright, and it just burns and blows with a brightness and a power. And when that glory of God is seen by the entire spiritual world, they look and they say, Son of God, Son of God, Son of God, Son of God. Already you're branded. Already, there's a different respect for you, but then you get tested. I call it the sniff test. The demons come around. And they throw little things at you and see if you're going to shake. Oh, the doctor said, oh, my tire fell off this morning. There's going to be a tornado at 6 o'clock. Go to the basement. How do we respond to the fears and the problems? They smell, they sniff. And you open that door and they come in. They're just looking to go somewhere. You see, we have to be those who know who we are, what we are and what we have. You are mighty conquerors in Jesus Christ. You don't have to fight the same wars he fought. We've got some denominations and they raise everybody up to be spiritual warriors all the time. Have you ever been around most? I love them. Some of them are my friends. I don't like being around them. They're too intense. 
everything's a war. Everything's a binding. Everything's a loosening. Everything, hey! I'll tell you what, I walk in the power of God. I don't need to bind it, loosen it, release it every other hour. I don't need to look at an ant going across the road and wonder if it's there to bite me in the toe. I don't need to walk in the dark and wonder what's out there lurking. I don't need somebody sitting in the White House to say something and everybody trembles and says, I don't worry about some little crazy lunatic in North Korea or somebody else that's got too much money in Russia. I could care less because my God is still on the throne. They can say whatever they want to say. The only thing it will do to me is what I allow it to do. But if it doesn't line up with this, I don't receive it. I know who I am, and I believe you know who you are, but we have to walk like we know who we are. Let me give you a practical example. I am certain this week, see if I'm not wrong by next Sunday, this week somebody somewhere you're going to encounter is going to tell you something negative. Huh? You're all laughing. You probably won't be out of here 30 minutes and it'll happen. Maybe you'll turn on the radio or the television and they'll start telling you all the negative things. And, or you'll bump into somebody. How about going to the doctor's office? You know, hey, they're doctors. You know, very rarely they tell you, hey, everything's great with you. I don't need to see you again. It's what they do. Huh? It's like going to the drugstore and saying, I don't need anything. The guy says, get out of here. What are you doing in here? You shoplifting? Hey, somebody will test you with negativity. This week, how do you respond? My wife knows how I respond. She used to think I was rude, but now she does the same thing I do. We say, no, thank you. Don't receive it. But, 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 no, 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 sorry. Can't have this conversation with you. But you don't understand. Oh, I understand. Conversation's over with. Thank you very much. God bless you. Bye-bye. You know, we had a tremendous miracle with Laura Lee just a couple weeks ago. It was frightening. Yes, we were frightened. I'm not afraid to tell you that, but I didn't give in to the fear. I didn't let the fear dominate. I pushed the fear back. And even though the gates kept coming in on her and myself and, 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 and Omar was with us and some of the people in the church were praying, it was, it was the floodgates opened up. And they meant well, but they tried to get us, first me, then her, to accept a stroke. Uh, onset of dementia, onset of TIAs, onset of, they, they were throwing so much stuff at me, all I could do was say, no! I don't understand any of that. No, but what, what, I, no, 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 you're not going to explain it to me. You don't understand. I don't understand it. It doesn't speak my language. My language is no. My language is only what God will do, and God didn't destine this upon her. Five hours later, fighting, warfaring, God begins to move in the miracle. And by the next day, they run all these tests, MRIs, carotid, everything they could run, test, test after test. She was bruised up one arm and the other arm. She got so healed that she was mad at everybody in the hospital by about 10 a.m. She had her bag packed. She said, I'm out of here. We leave. Last week she comes, she goes, I don't believe this. I said, what's up, babe? 
She says, I don't want to pay my hospital bill. I said, what do you mean they don't want to pay your hospital bill? They said, all the tests came back perfect. I shouldn't have been there. Hey, 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 Money's money, hey, right? Money's money. Four or five, I don't know how much it was. We didn't get all the bills yet. I know they're coming in. So she's talking with this lady on the phone and she's rationalizing with her and she's listening and she's taking notes. I said, give me that phone. She puts me on and a lady starts giving me the standard, you know, hospitalization thing. We don't want to pay for it. We're going to pay for that. This happened, that. And she shouldn't have done this and the doctor didn't. I said, Ma'am, I don't know about any of that, but let me tell you something. We're people of faith. What? Yes. My wife had a miracle. Quiet. Yes, she had a miracle. You're not going to find anything. In fact, her health is better now than it was before this episode. And I said, no one's going to find anything. She's healed. I said, but you're going to pay the bill. (laughs) Well, it goes through this and it goes through that. And I said, no. End of the day, it goes through heaven. You're going to pay the bill. And they'll pay the bill. My God doesn't put me out in destitute for a miracle. He already paid the price. Isn't it funny how you have to prove you got healed after you got healed, that you get healed, that you weren't sick to pay the bill? Wow, what a system we've created. It's easier to be in poverty than it is to work. Something about righteousness. We want our inheritance, but we want to spend it on the wrong things. How about the prodigal son in Luke 5? Remember the prodigal son? You know what prodigal means? Someone who spends their money lasciviously, unrighteously, in a riotous matter, extravagantly, wasting it. We, prodigal, we think the good part. Oh, he came home, prodigal. No, it has nothing to do with prodigy prodigal's bad. It's unrighteous. Dad, I want my inheritance now. Well, you're not ready, son. No, no, give it all to me now. Give me my half. I'm gone. Not a year later, he's eating with the pigs. He says, I got it wrong. Got his inheritance and he squandered it unrighteously. You know what the biggest challenge is to the body of Christ today is not to squander our righteousness with unrighteous living. Righteousness isn't a license to sin. Righteousness is our path to everything God has to glorify him. And so we need to be those who aren't enamored with the prodigal son story. It's good to know there's a way back, but it's better not to have to go and find your way back. Because when we do, we squander the good things of God and we eat with pigs. It's not the food God has intended for us. Righteousness. How about this? What does he mean? When he says, you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. When do we become complete? When do you become complete in him? Ponder it a moment. Do you become complete in him when you're born again? Or do you become complete in him when you get the faith to know you're complete in him? 
Let's get deep a minute. It's the old glass half full, half empty trick, right? What do you see? I see half empty. I see half full. When are you complete? Well, I liken it to this. You fall asleep tonight, you wake up in the morning, and there's a notice in your mailbox that you just inherited $10 million. But it doesn't tell you how to get it or where to go. It just tells you you got it. You say, but I think it's real because that really was my lost uncle, and, and I heard he was very wealthy, but darn, I had no relationship with him, and how do I get it? And so you go the rest of your life without the $10 million, but it was yours, but you didn't have it. When are you complete in God? The moment you're born again or when you begin to act like you're complete in God? Is your pocket full or is your pocket empty? What's in your pocket? You see, I am learning. Paul gave us a scripture. He told the Corinthians, be reconciled unto God. He wasn't telling them to be born again. He was telling them, be reconciled unto God who fills you with all righteousness. He was telling them to begin to reconcile. How many of you know anything about accounting and what it means to reconcile your books? Nothing's worse than books that aren't reconciled. I see the banker waving back there. Yes, Don, he's saying reconcile your books. Bankers do not like businesses that don't know how to do accounting. You get in trouble so fast, you're making money, but you're losing money. You're paying out, but you don't know what you're doing. Pretty soon, you just worked for nothing for over a year or two, or somebody steals it from you. You have to reconcile. It's the same thing. Paul was telling the Corinthians, reconcile with God. Don't just know about it. Reconcile yourself with it. How do you do it? First of all, we put obedience into our spirit to God. We don't do the things of the flesh that we want to do. We do the opposite of those things. It's better to do nothing than to do the wrong thing in the flesh. That's what we just read. So we need to stop. We need to put stop gaps in our life. Sometimes it means people. We need to avoid some people. People that come to us like a big light and they satisfy a moment in our life and we say, oh, God must have put them in our life. But all of a sudden they begin to fill our ears with this stuff that's not of God. And we begin to eat it because it's a little tasty at first. You know what it's mostly called? Deceit and gossip. You need to get our antennas up to what is deceit and gossip and not receive it and not repeat it. We need to throw it out. It's a poison in our systems. It's unrighteous. And when it's unrighteous, then you're not completed. If you're not completed, you don't have access to the things that God has for you. It becomes a stop gap, a gate. Only we can be in the way of what God has for us. No one else can be. Don't blame it on anybody else. Jesus said it so well, didn't he? He said, don't look, and I say telephone pole, for the log in, in someone else's eye or the splinter in someone else's eye when you have the telephone pole in your own eye. You see, we, we want to find that splinter. And boy, we seem so righteous sometimes when we begin to embellish it. Righteous unto unrighteousness. So many other ways to operate in righteousness. One of them 
is simply to give it all to the Lord. What does it mean to give it all to the Lord? Well, the first time I saw that and read that, I literally gave it all to the Lord. I packed up my Mercedes. I filled it up with all my ownings. I opened up my door. I gave everything away. I took all my clothes to the Salvation Army. I emptied my bank account. I gave the car away. I gave everything away. I had nothing left. Nothing. Nothing. That's not what it meant. I wish I'd have known that then. (laughs) Give it all to him. What does it mean, give it all to him? Ask him to direct you in every step that you take. You know, this morning I was leaving our house and I had to get up very early and open the floodgates up in our lake because it was overflowing and when it does, it trickles all the way through the neighborhood. They all dump into the lake and so I was up there pulling it up and getting it up and blessing God the sun was up and it had just risen and I'm saying, Lord, what are we? doing this morning and I'm still flying high from last night on a few hours sleep and and I walk around to the front of the house and our hanging baskets are smashed to the ground and they're bent like a pretzel I said "Mm, I knew better and I said Holy Spirit I need to listen to you better when I was buying those things at Home Depot I was on my way out the door with them and in my mind now I know it was my spirit how come I have to learn these things over and over I said, I got the wrong ones. These things may not hold two of them. I should go back and get the single ones. But I left with the double ones. Guess what I got now? Double pretzels. I said, Lord, I should have listened to you. And then I said, but you know what? You redeem everything. So show me what I could do with these two expensive double pretzels that cost me $21 each. Show me what, somebody needs some double pretzels for your house, I give them to you. It's always easy to look back and say, oh, that was the Holy Spirit telling me. We need to stop and walk in the Holy Spirit. He does speak to us about the little things in our lives and the big things in our life. Don't get so legalistic that you're afraid to do anything without some big confirmation from God. If you're walking in the Spirit, then He's walking you and leading you and taking you with everywhere you go. The steps of the righteous man are ordered perfectly by God. So you don't have to wonder, should I get gas here or should I get it there? Should I? Don't get over legalistic about it. Commit your ways to the Lord and he shall lead you in his paths in every way. But we need to commit to him to walk in the righteousness of God. Just a few more points. When are we more than conquerors? Is it after death? When we leave this place with tears? Or does it really mean something when it says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us? You see, we need to understand the tense. The tense of that translation isn't a past perfect tense. That means we are more than conquerors sometimes in the future. It's not even one that projects it. What it means is when it says we are more than conquerors, it's the state of being. It's a a present tense verb, we are. It's the right translation. We are. You can also say to it, his being is in us perfecting right now. When Paul was asked, 
in an area to describe God in Acts 17. He didn't know what to say to him, so the Holy Spirit gave him the words, and, and they were poets, and so he did it in a poetic way, and what he said to him was, in him we live, we move, we have our being. Present tense. Not something about what was going to happen or could happen in the great by and by, but in him we live and move and we have our being right now. Now, to some that could be frightening. I'll tell you what, I get great consolation from it. It makes me happy because I realize that he's moving with me, he's in me, and he's living in me. And you know what else? This is what I love so much about the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God perfects my so many imperfections. <laughs> in his eyes, my father sees me as a righteous, perfect person. In my eyes, I see myself as something always falling short. In his eyes, he sees me as somebody capable of moving heaven and earth. In my eyes, I see myself as always coming a step too far back. In my eyes, I see something as an almost overwhelming situation. In his eyes, he sees me as a conqueror. He looks at my name in the book of life, and I hope there's a check mark that says, well done, son. In my eyes, I want to believe in a religion that says, I need to do this, this, and that, and this to get to that. In his eyes, he says, no, it's already done. It's the state of being. In him, we live and move and have our being. The righteousness he was made sin who knew no sin that you might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There was an exchange that happened when Christ rose from the dead. And in that exchange, it took your sinful nature, my sinful nature, and our sin consciousness and exchanged it for the righteousness of Christ. Can you imagine how defeated the devil knows he is? I would have loved to have seen that one moment in hell when all of a sudden the revelation hit him. Uh-oh, I really messed up here. Paul said they wouldn't have crucified him if they would have known what was going to happen. The devil didn't know. The deceiver was deceived in his own pride and arrogance, and he still is beat by taking him in his own pride and arrogance. He thinks he's got you with a disease, but God's got you with a testimony. He thinks he's going to step you down when God's going to raise you up. He thinks he's going to buffet you when God's going to say, no, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. He thinks he's going to give you a tempestuous storm. And God says, no, it's just going to speed you up to get to the other place faster. The winds that he intends to buffet you will be the winds in your sail, and you will soar like an eagle. The devil still is falling into his own snares. Somebody help me, but I believe there's a psalm that David prayed and said, Father, let them step upon their own snares. The traps that they've laid for me, let them be caught up in these traps. And may those who try to pull me down into hell, may they be caught there themselves while I walk into the heavenly places. Let me tell you something. We are more than conquerors through Christ. 
The righteousness of God is having a righteous mentality. That's when your righteousness is completed. We have to work at it all time. Paul had to be careful because he didn't want to go back into works. I understood why he had to spend a couple years in Damascus. My Damascus was 2301 Selma Avenue on the north side of Youngstown. I came out of the temple, out of sacrifices on a farm in Hubbard. I was so confused. I, I, and then somebody, I, I read about the grace. I read about the forgiveness. I, I wanted to work at it. I didn't understand it. He had to lock me up at 2301 Selma and beat the living religion out of me for a good year. Paul got a couple years of it in Damascus. And then he came out and he wanted to defend the grace so badly. But Paul understood something about completing in God. None of us here on earth ever become everything we can be. But even though we are everything we're going to be in the righteousness of the Spirit of God, we just keep pressing on and persevering and enduring and going forward and knowing that when we are weak, he is strong and that we're, faith is made strong in our weakness and infirmities. We understand all of that. But there's a little bit of a concept that Paul tried to explain. And it's called Shalom, S-H-A-L-A-M. And Shalom isn't shalom, peace. Shalom is a process of perfecting. It's a process of reconciling with God. It's a process of completing. Jeff, I'm so happy that I'm not the person I was last year. Thank God. I'm not even the person I was last night. Thank you, Lord. Woo! I had to lock Frank Flesh up in there a little bit last night. He tried to come out again this morning. I had to kick the door, lock it up. Get in there. Hey! We have to perfect. Shalom is a process of perfection. It's a process of moving forward in the things of God, realizing that our focus is on him, but understanding that all through that, God is with us. We don't perfect to impress God. We perfect to receive more of God. Amen? You don't have to impress God at all. He's already impressed himself with you. He looks upon his palms that are outstretched from his throne. Can you imagine how big his hands are? The name of every believer is written on those palms. He says, I look at your names forever and will never forget you. Your names are before me always. Your name inscribed in the palm of God. And he puts it before his face. We worship with our palms to God. God responds to our worship with your names on his palms to you. Sometimes this is what I see when I'm worshiping. I see the hands of the Lord start to move down and I start looking for my name. Oh, Jesus, God Almighty. That's who we are. Once I asked crazy questions of God. I said, Lord, what are these names written in? Is it an in ink? He said, it's, it's the blood of my son written on my palms. The indelible blood of Jesus has written your name and my name on the palms of the heavenly father. 
And he looks at that just like we do, those of us who are proud to have family members, those of us who are proud to have grandchildren or children or relationships, the father and his family, he looks at them and he smiles. And he looks at his son and he goes, And then he says to his son, it's all yours. I give it all to you. You reign over it. You deal with it. And just like a grandfather would like to do, he said, I'm just going to enjoy this on my hands. You take care of the heavy work right now, son. And when you're all done, present me your bride. Bring your bride to me. Holy blameless, spotless, no wrinkles. Ladies, no wrinkles. You men don't care. No wrinkles. A beautiful bride, washed in the blood, raised by the Holy Spirit, loved by the Father, with promises never ending. The righteousness of God. I'm going to stop there. If the Lord allows, we'll be taking this journey together on the righteousness of God. There's so much more to share with you. I dare say that that revelation and faith to receive the righteousness of God is that which releases us unto all the other attributes of who God is alive in our lives today. Please don't put on yourself any chains. You're better than that. You're so much better than your own comprehension of who you are. And by all means, don't let anybody else put a chain on you. Because you're unchainable. (laughs) You can't be controlled unless you allow yourself to be controlled. It's good to hear what the accountant has to say, what the tax advisor has to say, what the counselor has to say, what the doctor has to say, what the judge has to say. They're not the ultimate truth. The ultimate truth is the one who can do everything he says he can do for you and I.